Welcome to Citizens Midweek. It's a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at this week's sermon. My name is Jacob, here with our pastor and friend Tim Olson. Here we go. This week we did a standalone sermon, which just means that it was one sermon in between two different series. So every once in a while we like to kind of take some time to talk about a specific thing before we keep moving through our planned sermon series. This week we talked about singing. We talked about worship. We talked about why we sing together as a church family, what it means for us as people that follow God to sing together. Um, it was a, it was a sermon about worship, and I, I think a lot of people really enjoyed it. We were really helped by it. Um, the core passage for this week was Psalm ninety six verses one through nine, kind of walking through all of the different words that are used in that passage that imply what we would kind of in a modern context just lump under the banner of worship. So things like praising and describing and declaring and telling and singing and all these things and kind of how they're lumped in our context, just as when we worship God. So really in the sermon, there were kind of two main ideas. It was a two-parter. We we took the opportunity to, to mess with the formula a little bit. <laughs> so part one of the sermon um, was just centered around the idea that singing is reorientation, that when we sing together as people that follow Jesus, we are, you know, kind of recalibrating our hearts and minds together, reminding one another of the truth of the gospel. When we sing together, we talked about how singing is just so even for non-Christians, singing is really innately um, a helpful tool to help people remember things. So just kind of talking about how, you know, kids remember songs before they even know how to read, um, things like that. Um, so that was kind of part one, singing as reorientation, worship as reorientation. And then part two of the sermon um, was singing as rebellion. So not only are we reminding ourselves of the truth, but we're using the truth that we reminded ourselves of to fight back against the lies of the enemy, um, the sin in our lives, the, the idols and demons of our own hearts. And, you know, how it helps us. We fight back against the enemy by speaking and singing and reminding ourselves of the truth. And um, yeah, so... That was kind of this week. Thought was really helpful. I think for me, the part that was just the most um, encouraging was was that rebellion piece. Just that, um, you know, singing is an is an active tool that we have to worship. Is an active tool that we have to fight against the lies of the enemy. And and just remembering that, you know, when we sing in a gathering, even if we've had a really tough week, singing is even kind of a testimony of the goodness of God, despite our singing. So, you know just remembering a lot of really cool stories I'm sure we'll talk about later, but just what it means whenever, you know, I've had a really tough week or maybe you've had a really tough week, something really terrible has happened in your life, but you come to the gathering of church family at regardless and sing the truth about Jesus in confidence and just what that does for us when we kind of lend confidence in that way through our singing. But what about you, Tim? Anything that stuck out in particular while you were kind of preparing for this week's sermon? Yeah, I mean, this was a sermon that uh, I've been excited about for a while. I enjoy the one-offs. I mean, I really enjoy like this walking through sermon series and getting to, to branch out like we did with work, like this big theology of something for six weeks. But it's also really good just to hit on some of these like kind of like housekeeping topics of like, it's very straightforward. It's like, what's the application for this week? Sync. <laughs> Worship God. <laughs> right. um, very straightforward. But one of the things that I've been chewing on a lot is, I guess two things. One is that thing we talked about at the intro, the very beginning, the people of God have always been a singing people, right? So just by way of recap, we talked about how the Bible contains over 400 references and 50 direct commands to sing. And then you have, you know, throughout the story of Scripture. So Adam, when uh, the first man, Adam, sees the first woman, Eve, uh, 
after she was created, his response is to break out in song, to sing in his delight. You have uh, Exodus 15. God delivers his people out of Egypt, the 10 plagues, crossing the Red Sea, all that craziness. And the first response, once they get over the Red Sea and get delivered officially from the hand of Pharaoh, is they respond in singing. And then you have uh, the tabernacle and the temple, just this rhythm and routine of the Old Testament people of God, the Israelites, uh, having singing as this big part of their worship. And then you have, you know, the book of Psalms, this giant ancient hymn book of songs and worship to God. And you have, uh, I think this one's been the one that's most like just I just don't think about often is uh, Matthew 26. Jesus and his disciples mm. during the Last Supper. We think of that as like communion and betrayal time, right? right? Like he passes out the bread, he passes out the wine, he talks about how Jesus is going to betray him. We miss that little bit in Matthew 26 where it says during the meal they were singing hymns. They were celebrating together right before he goes to the cross. Uh, Acts 16, Paul and Silas in jail. They're singing uh, while they're in jail uh, for preaching the gospel. And then you have uh, ultimately this consummation of all things. Christ returns, new heaven and the new earth, and the throne room of God is filled with the people of God singing praises. And so just how much singing plays such a crucial role in the corporate formation of God's people. And I was thinking about this a lot in particular. We did uh, the spiritual practices seminar this past Saturday, August 7th, and just walking through all of these more personal spiritual practices, uh, prayer, Bible reading, fasting, those types of things. And we were talking about feasting, and feasting is kind of one of the main ones on there that's communal, right? We feast together with the people of God, and I think singing is also one of those things. Like, it, singing is a discipline. Like, it, it takes a conscious effort to want to step foot in the gathering and to want to open your mouth and to make vocal noise. Uh, it's a discipline. It's a practice. It's something that you have to be able to, like, say, I'm going to do this. I'm choosing to sing right now because God calls me to it. He commands me to do it and he invites me to do it. Um, And then we see just the fruit that comes from choosing to do that practice together. I'm all for like in your car, worshiping, going for it, like in the shower, whatever, if you're a shower singer or whatever, like I'm all for that kind of like personal shower singer. uh, I don't know. Uh, But I'm all for like that personal, like uh, you're going to sing to God, like worship. But there's something so powerful about the people of God joining together to worship God through song that just changes and shapes people um i mean i i mean thinking about my own personal story like i um i said yes to what i felt like was god's call to full-time ministry through corporate worship and in the midst of corporate worship um examples of of friends who became believers through the spirit speaking through corporate worship. So just beautiful examples of like the way God uses the people of God singing the truths of God mediated through the songs of God's people. Yeah. I yeah, I had a like my my original call to ministry, at least my perception of it was through leading worship. Like that was there was always something really you know tightly intertwined to me about like following Jesus and serving the church through music, through leading worship and um, I think what you said too about like recognizing the distinctiveness of what happens in the corporate gathering worship wise is even really important. And that's fueled a lot of the ways that we talk about the types of music that we do on mm-hmm. Sunday, just recognizing that there's, I mean, there's an infinite, seemingly infinite catalog of music that is God honoring and edifying and, and rooted in biblical conviction and scripture and all these things and are encouraging to, to believers. But there's a category within the category that is also, what is helpful for the reasons that we gather on a Sunday? What's what's good for the purposes of the gathering, yeah. which is to center ourselves around the gospel, to recalibrate and to rebel. So, you know, we have that context a lot when we're planning music of 
this is a really great song that a lot of our people know, but is it right and good for what we do on a Sunday? Yeah. Is it right for the Sunday gathering? Yeah. Um, and even just telling some of our worship leaders, like, it's a hard balance because we everybody feels this really inherent connection to music. It feels very personal. So it's like this weird balance of like, I like the music that you showed me, and it might not be right for a Sunday, but there's just feel it feels really personal to hear that, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so even just encouraging our worship leaders of like, well, maybe not this context, but what is a context in which we might do that song? Where might that be helpful? Yeah. Like, can you just share this song with somebody that you know that's going through a season that this message might be appropriate for them? Can we, are there worship nights that are not going to be Sunday night, Sunday nights or something where we might have that music like that? But the gathering is something specific and it, and because it's specific and it has these specific purposes, it does require specific content mm-hmm. in our music too, but... Yeah, and I love what you said about it is very personal, it right? Is, people yeah. feel very strongly about, you know, people think the worship wars were only fought in the 90s right. with, like, do we do drums or not? And right. it's like, oh, no, gosh. we fight the worship wars all the time with, like, um, bands that we like, songs that we like, styles that we like. I mean, even taking it to more of, like, the deeper theological issues of, like, the regulatory principle. Like, can we only do what Acts tells us to do or shows us to do? Or can we, is there freedom? And can we do other things? And what does this look like? And uh, you have all the experimentation that happened, especially in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s with, like, uh, can you do painting in worship yeah, during it's singing? it's just creative and arts, a mechanism for corporate that worship. Part of yeah. that as well. And then, you know, more of even today of, like, you know, churches that uh, make not just principled decisions, but even like rules and and um, theological positions that dictate like uh, you can't do light, so you can do lights, or you can't do fog, you can do fog. Like it becomes like doesn't just become like principled decisions that the church makes based on its context and its aims. They become like value statements and value right. judgments. I mean, it's so um, easy for us to become tribalistic about that kind of stuff. Of yeah, like us versus them. We've made a moral claim about the type of worship we do and. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough for us because we do make we have made some decisions, mm-hmm. right? But we make decisions based on what we have deemed is the most helpful for our church family mm-hmm. in our context. And it's not it's not always an indictment on people that do something different than us, but it feels that way. It's what we want to say. Yeah. Like it's what we want to assume is that like, oh, you're saying something about them because you've said something about yourself. Yeah. It's like, no, not really. We just are making choices to try and lead our family. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's helpful, I mean, even to think about, um, you are talking about this with good worship song decisions. I think, you know, the baseline that we've had conversations about is like, is this biblically rooted? Like, are we giving people strong theology through our songs to stand on? Because um, we talked about this on Sunday, but like this, uh, this um, psychological idea of earworms, like the sticking power of songs where uh, science has found that if you put a melody and a pitch and a tone behind words, those words are going to stick easier with you. Like they're just, there's just something there with the way our brains, our brains, he, our minds hear music. It just sticks with us. And so part of it is like, yeah, I think you should memorize scripture. I think absolutely memorize God's word, hide God's word in your heart. It's, you know, Psalms talks about that very directly, but part of, I think how we meditate on the truths of God's word is through the songs of God's people. And so even thinking about like, are we singing songs on a Sunday, not just that are catchy or are people like to sing or grab in the moment, but are we singing songs that are going to give them a rootedness to help with one of our deep, uh, passions as a church, which is to help people suffer well. And part of how we help people suffer well is in giving them good, robust songs of joy and lament. Right. And it's not always necessarily like this must be a hymn, must Mm -hmm. be something explicitly scriptural. The thing for me is that 
you know, because songwriting is a very creative process and can be very creative um, with creativity, sometimes comes a little bit of, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm thinking of? A little bit of a freedom with your word choice. <laughs> but what I ask our, myself a lot is like, are we encouraging our church family to learn a song that says something that is true? Meaning like, I would, I mean, I just want to make sure that when we're picking music, like, especially when it comes to creative liberties and song choice, songwriting and stuff, like, am I confident that what you're saying in your music is actually true? Or is there any level of like, well, you took some freedoms here. It's a little up in the air. Mm. Well, then I don't want to go and teach our church family that because they're going to remember it. (laughs) They're going to remember it better than they remember our sermons and our Bible passages. You know what I mean? Yeah. Personally Uh, offended is the one who preaches those sermons, but it's fine. I'm just kidding. I mean, come on. (laughs) Maybe you should start singing all of your sermons, Tim. No, no. That would not be good for (laughs) any of us. Um, And I like what you said, even of like, it doesn't have to be the, the most... Uh, quote-unquote robust in terms of number of lyrics, right? right? So I think about the song right. uh, Everlasting God by William Murphy that we sing, right? That whole the Lord's my line of salvation um, and it's like that song has one chorus and one verse basically, right? And we just repeat them over and over and over again and I think what's so helpful for me to think about in worship is I need to sing these songs now like I believe them even if I don't necessarily feel like I need them right now, because there's going to be a time where I do need them, right? So I think about um, the song we sing, Until These Tears Are Gone, right? It's like, yeah, there are moments in my life where it's like, I don't have tears right now. Like, I'm not coming into the gathering suffering and painful and full of pain and hurting. I'm actually coming in with a lot of joy because of what the Lord's doing or because of what's happening in my life. But I'm still going to sing that song because, one, people around me might need to hear that. And then, two, there's going to be seasons where I need to ask that question of the Lord. Like how long until these tears are like, and so I need to learn to sing these songs now for the moments when I need them in the future. Right. And we've talked about before the idea that like we need discipline now when we don't need it, or we we should practice discipline when we don't need it for the times when we do need it. Yeah. And I think it's just a good reminder in this context that responding with worship is a discipline. It's a muscle that we flex as we grow in faithfulness to Jesus, as we grow in, as we grow in trusting God, you know, the more we trust, the more we remember God's faithfulness, the easier it's going to be to respond in worship in hard seasons. But that starts by teaching ourselves with the Spirit's help to respond in worship when life is much easier than hard, <laughs> you know, but yep. when it's when it's much simpler to make that kind of choice. Yep. Uh, I'm interested, I'm curious, as as our worship director, like what, what are some of the other thoughts that you have uh, just in terms of like worship? Uh, I know that we've talked about some stories you have and things like that. Like what are sure. some other things that are just helpful as you think about this idea of our people being, our church being one of, of passionate um, God pursuing worship corporately? Sure. Yeah, I just, I think for me, it's always been really meaningful to, you know, that piece of come with conviction, come with excitement and faithfulness and eagerness in abundance and show it because there are going to be people that need to rely on your confidence because they're just not there that day. They're not in that place of confidence or comfort or conviction for some really good reasons, you know, for a lot of reasons. And I've just been always the most moved and the most touched kind of throughout my life in that exchange between me and other people in our church. So, you know, before coming to Columbia, I was in a, I was in another church plant for five years and, you know, we had a lot of really, I mean, serious, um, really serious tragedies in the first few years. Like, I mean, I'm not going to share their personal information. But we had a man whose wife just died totally unexpectedly, woke up and she was gone, had no signs of ill health. 
and our church family worshiping together in, in light of that, you know, sharing the grief of this is a terrible that we've experienced this together, but we're together in this space on a Sunday worshiping God as a family through the grief and confusion of what's happened. And I remember in particular, one of our worship team members at this church plant um, went through a really, um, really tragic process of losing a child in, during pregnancy. Like they found out that their child had, um, had a developmental issues and the child was not going to live past birth for very long. Um, and that, I mean, that was the case. They delivered the baby. He lived for a few hours and then passed on. And within a week they were at the gathering singing to Jesus, like singing songs about their confidence in the Lord's goodness. And I just remember sitting across the room, watching this couple doing a very normal thing, which was to be at church. Right. But just being so incredibly moved by knowing what kind of week they had, what kind of month they had. I mean, what kind of mm. year they had carrying this child that they loved and cared for and prayed for so deeply um, that didn't live. And they were at a gathering with their church family singing about the goodness of God, singing about the faithfulness of the Father. Um, and that did something to me. That did something to us in the room that knew, you know, to know that these people have lived one of the hardest things I could even imagine, can't even imagine, and they're here with us saying, we're competent in Jesus. We're singing. We're competent in Jesus. We're competent in his goodness. We're competent in his faithfulness. We trust in the hope of God. And seeing them or getting to watch them do that while I'm in the room just being so struck by how terrible their season of life has been. Like that was so incredibly moving. And it stirred up my own confidence in God of like, man, if these people can come here after the year they've had and sing about the faithfulness of Jesus, well, then so can I. When my life is not to compare sufferings, but when my life has been less marked than theirs has, certainly. Um, so just it's just seasons like that. And you as a worship leader, I really value kind of the relationships that we have with our church family, because I know those stories from the stage. Right. Not everybody in the room knows those stories, but because we're trying our best to walk in deep relationships with our church family, the people that we're leading and serving like. I can come to a gathering and know like she's had a terrible week. Something really awful happened to him at work. Um, he had a family member that was really mean to him, but we're here <laughs> and we're worshiping Jesus together and we're singing songs about the goodness of God. And I consider it a really big blessing just to kind of get to carry those stories with me. I wish we could share them more often, but obviously they're really personal to some people, which is appropriate, but that's the biggest honor for me is just to like know our church family, know the lives that they're living and then watching them worship on a Sunday anyways. Mm. You know, it's, it's really awesome and really helpful to me. It's really encouraging. Yeah. And it's part of, I mean that, like you were saying how we rebel against that individualism mm -hmm. piece and how we say like, you know what, this is, uh, this doesn't trump the goodness of the Lord. It doesn't supersede the kindness of the Lord. It doesn't, um, have the last word in regards to like the sovereignty of God and his faithfulness to me. And I think even just thinking about some of those examples you were talking about of like, um, uh, it's not as if it's like sing and then all your problems go away. Right. You know what right. I mean? Like it's not like, well, all you need to do in the midst of your very real suffering and hurt is like show up, sing and you're sing good. The top 40 Christian song. Right. Yeah. But there's something to this reality of like, um, choosing to worship the Lord, even in the midst of it. Um, and both the Spirit's power enabling you to do that, but then also the way that the the, the Lord responds in His kindness and His grace uh, to the faith of His people. 
uh, even in the midst of those those trying times. It makes me think a little bit about what we said about the work series too, that we all have these stories that we tell, these narratives that we're putting our work into. And I think, you know, song and music is a really helpful way to replace the narratives in our brain, right? So like what well, we can come to a gathering or maybe even not come to a gathering, maybe just walking through our week trying to follow Jesus, but it's been really tough. We've had disappointment after sorrow, after grief, after anger. And the stories that the, the enemy can tell us just really start to weave about like my friends are out to get me. My church family really doesn't care about me. Jesus is not as good as I thought he was, whatever. But just to have a song to replace that narrative with, just to have a lyric or a melody um, to override a little bit, to give you something else to meditate on, quite literally, something else to meditate on than your grief, than your heartache, than your sorrow, um, than your pain. So, you know, we, I mean, I just really, it's a, like you're saying, it's a helpful tool to have music to remember. It's really easy to remember music. So let's make the most of a good thing and give thing, give our church family yeah. music about Jesus that's honoring and edifying. And not because it's a magic pill, not because it's like, oh, your favorite artist put out a new album, get ready to have the best season of your life. But we, we need, we need, uh, we need to respond to the evil or to the lies of the enemy with the goodness of the gospel. And music helps us do that in a really effective way. So Tim, earlier we were kind of talking about the the specific context of the Sunday gathering and how we think about that in a really specific way. One of the ways that you and I know, because we've had a ton of conversations about it, one of the ways that we try and do that is by having a, a formal liturgy. Um, liturgy just means the order in which you conduct your Sunday gathering. Every church has a liturgy, just some people put it really up front and some people don't. But we do, we have a pretty planned and, and consistent liturgy. Um, and I know for some people that's surprising. Some people, you know, find that a little bit restrictive maybe. But can you kind of talk about our heart and our desire behind having a liturgy like we do and kind of what we hope it accomplishes and what we think we're aiming for there? Yeah, so we um, we we are convinced, and I, and, uh, I hope it's a we. I am convinced. Uh, <laughs> our leadership is convinced that uh, there's an importance not just to what we sing and how we sing, but the but also the order in which we sing. Uh, and I think about it in terms of like when we gather together on Sundays, we're not just proclaiming the gospel with the what, but we're proclaiming the gospel with the how. And so there's this sense in which uh, we think that the entirety of the gathering should give weight to the entirety of the gospel story, right? And so we um, start with a call to worship where it's we remember that all of the Christian life, because all of creation begins with God, that uh, the very first word in the Bible is God, right? God speaking, God acting, God moving. Uh, in the beginning, God. Uh, and that's true in the Christian life as well, right? In the beginning of our Christian lives, God it is God who first moves towards us. It is God who first works in our hearts. It's God who first, by the power of his spirit, uh, makes us alive to even want to believe the goodness of the gospel. So we start with a call to worship, and then we sing a song that remembers God. It starts with God. Our worship starts with him and his movement towards us. And then we go to the fall. We go to our sin. We have a time to confess and to lament our sin and our brokenness. Uh, of our own lives, of the world around us together. And that's, you know, the story of scripture, right? That uh, from Genesis 3, it's a long time before you hit Matthew 1 and the arrival of Jesus. And so we remember like, oh, first there starts with God, but then there's also brokenness, right? Adam and Eve rebel. And so our our order of our worship joins that order of, of the story of God, where it goes from starting with God and then it moves to the fall, brokenness, sin. And then the response to that is, 
the gospel, right? That Jesus comes, he enters into our world, he takes on flesh, lives the life we couldn't, dies the death we should have, and then he rises again, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And so we remember the good news of the gospel through that gospel assurance and through this song, which we want to speak, the songs we put in that spot, we want to speak heavily to what Christ has done, what he has done through his uh, life, death, and resurrection. And then, you know, we remember that, okay, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, uh, through his uh, atonement and through his sacrifice, we have peace with God and also peace with one another. And so we remember that peace uh, as we, you know, quote unquote, pass the peace to one another. We remember God has made us right with him and right with each other. He's made us into a family. And then we go to God's word and we, we hear God's word read and preached and proclaimed. And then as we think about the rest of the the liturgical order, we think about our response to the preached word of God. We think about our response to uh, the conviction of sin, the, the uh, assurance of pardon. We think about our response to God's word spoken and taught and preached and applied into our lives. And so we respond through uh, worship. We respond through prayer. We respond through communion. Uh, and then we have the benediction where we're sent back out into the world. We don't just gather to gather. We don't just gather to do something. We gather to then be sent back out uh, into our lives, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our friendships, all of that. And so I think um, even thinking about those types of things, um, for some people, they love it. For some people, they don't love it. Uh, but that's also true. With, like, I mean, I was just thinking about that same category that you were sharing about with like song selection and song choice and song preference, where it's like, uh, we're doing this for us. We're doing this for future you, and we're doing this for current us as a as a collective whole. Um, and we're coming into the gathering, reminding ourselves together, like we we together, we confess our sins together, we remind each other of the gospel together, we call ourselves each other, us to worship, we take communion together, like these are things we do together. We celebrate baptisms together. Um, there's just such a cl- a clear togetherness in the Bible that is just why we feel so strongly about it. it's it's a gathering. It's the the ecclesia. It's the called out people of God gathered together, not just as autonomous individuals, but as a part of a collective whole uh, to glorify God. Like it matters that God doesn't just save us individually for individual relationships with him, but he saves us to a people. Um, we collectively are the bride of Christ, not you individually. We collectively you are a part of that, but we collectively are the bride and the body of Christ. We need each other. Um, it's a good thing for the people of God uh, to gather together. Yeah. And ultimately, that's like fundamentally to boil it down is that our our Sunday liturgy is a rehearsal of the gospel narrative so that we can continue reminding ourselves of it. You know, yeah. it's we, we rehearse the story of the gospel, which is, you know, all the things you just said so that it can continue to be a reorienting and rebellion tool for us. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, you know, we're young, right? And that's what I tell worship leaders all the time. Not all the time, but I, I've told this to some of our worship leaders is that I love the music that you're listening to. I really love the artists. I really love the content. Unfortunately, we're young. We're new. Right now, our corporate worship, we have one context. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, over time, we have many, many contexts. I would love to expand the context by which we gather and worship together outside of Sunday, you know, Sunday gatherings. But right now that's what it is. And because that's what it is right now, there are some limitations on the content and I would love for that to be different one day, but yeah, I'm really thankful. You know, we get to lead with a lot of people, which is one of our, I mean, our biggest flexes as a young church plant 
is that we've got a really, really large worship team. I mean, I think right now between instrumentalists and, and vocalists and things like that, we're leading a team with like 20 people, 25 people, which I recognize is such a luxury. Like I'm really thankful because I've been on the church planting team where it was four people for three years. <laughs> so um, I'm really thankful for all the people we get to lead worship with and really thankful for all the different voices like not singing voices anyways i'm very thankful for all of the voices that they bring to the table about what we value and that you know we're shaping an identity about what we value um and ultimately excited that like the way that we both reorient and rebel is being shaped by the people that are part of our church which is really great really cool well um we're excited for for that um excited for the conversations you guys are going to have in community group this week about that um, next week, we're starting our new sermon series through the fall, Fruit of the Spirit in the Time of the Flesh. It's kind of a continuation of our rhythms and formations stuff from last fall. Um, so you won't want to miss that this week. Um, but yeah, that's all the time we have for this week. We'll see you next time.